And for our scripture reading, we'll turn to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, the books of Moses, Leviticus chapter 16, where the Lord explains the Day of Atonement, the annual day where the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifice for the people, for the whole nation. And we'll cover the first part of the chapter this morning and uh, the other in the coming uh, service. Leviticus chapter 16, the first 19 verses. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy tunic and the linen trousers on his body He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments, and therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering which is for himself, And make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goats on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. And then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil, And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. And bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. And so he shall make atonement for the holy place. Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting. Which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement for the holy place until he comes out, 
and that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And we'll stop there for today. Uh, Next week we will consider in more detail the offering itself. Today we just want to consider uh, the high priest as he came to approach the tabernacle and to begin uh, this sacrifice. As we've been considering in these past weeks, uh, Christ a name that means anointed, as the Lord Jesus is anointed to be prophet, priest, and king. And we've been focusing especially on his office of priest. Last time we considered a little of the qualifications required for a priest. And if we consider what a a prophet is, a prophet is God's representative to the people, whereas a priest is representative of the, of the people to God. He stands as a mediator between the people and God. And so here in Leviticus 16, the Lord is instructing Moses to tell Aaron about the Day of Atonement, known as Yom Kippur. Here the high priest would come and he would enter the most holy place of the tabernacle, the very back where the Ark of the Covenant was, and there he would come once a year, to perform that ceremonial cleansing for the whole community. Even the tabernacle itself had to be uh, cleansed because sinful people had touched it. It just it goes to show how the Lord requires everything to be so pure and so holy because we are so sinful. And so this day was a vivid illustration of what the Lord Jesus Christ himself would come to do as he came to offer himself as a, a sacrifice for the sins of all His people on the cross. And so this morning, as I mentioned, we just want to focus on, on the first part, dealing with the requirements of the high priest as he came to the tabernacle. And so our theme is the approach of the high priest, the approach of the high priest. And we'll see first the narrowness of that approach. The narrowness of that approach And we see that in verse 1 where it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. God begins explaining the, the Day of Atonement with a warning. He warns Aaron and, and Moses about the death, reminding them of the death of his two sons, Nadab and Abihu. They, if you remember, came to, with their own fire, with profane fire, the Lord calls it, to, to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And, and so they tried to come in their own, on their own terms to approach the holy God, and God killed them with fire out of heaven. And so as God is increasingly revealing His salvation and the history of redemption here, He makes it clear that there's only one way of salvation, one specific way by which we must approach God. And in this chapter, he is instructing Aaron on what that looked like in their ceremonial uh, way. 
But we also need to remember that for every one of us, and in the world that we live, we can be tempted to come to God in such a light way, to think, to come in our own way like Nadab and Abihu did, and whatever that may consist of. There's such a casual attitude of addressing God. And they say, well, God is love. He, doesn't, he won't mind if I live this way or, or do this thing. He'll accept me. And so they take God's mercy for granted. But they do not come in the way that is prescribed through Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. And the death of Nadab and Abihu are here as a reminder to show the narrowness of true religion. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In Acts 4, it says, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is only one door. There is only one gate. There is only one road that leads to eternal life. Last week, we considered also briefly the holiness that's required of us. This whole book of Leviticus really emphasizes the fact of, of God's holiness. And as we considered last week, he said, I am holy, and therefore you must be holy. So God's infinite holiness demands our holiness in, in reaction in, in, to that. So holiness is required if we would be able to enter into communion with Him. Nothing less than perfect holiness can enter the presence of God. And if anything else than perfect holiness enters His presence, He must deal with us as He did with Nadab and Abihu. And so as we look at the tabernacle here again, the tabernacle represented and symbolized that communion with God. It communicated that the nearness of God and that He was there, that He was willing to commune with His people. It showed that God was in their midst, yes, as we see the Lord Jesus Christ now, as His name is Emmanuel, the God with us. And that, that holiness was communicated not just by the tabernacle, but as we considered last week, the circle of holiness, even as they camped, they camped around it in a certain pattern. And the people were permitted to come into the outer court of the tabernacle, but only the priests were allowed to go into that tabernacle. And then we heard about the requirements of the, of the priests, that they themselves had to be without blemish, without spot. They could not be defiled in any way. And that's because the priest was the representative of the people to God. He was God's appointed mediator to stand between a holy God and a sinful nation. The priest was given to deal with that separation that is between us and God by nature. And so they're to draw near to God on our behalf, to offer those sacrifices, to pray, to intercede, and then to return with God's blessing for the people. And so the priests are here to help us understand in the Old Testament, that, to answer that question, how is it possible for sinful men to be reconciled to God, to enter into His presence? How is it possible for you and me to have communion with this a holy God, where even if these priests would die if they did something wrong? And then as He leads us further to the, very, to the most holy place of the tabernacle itself, 
where the Ark of the Covenant was with that mercy seat that covered the law. There it was a place where you said God's presence would come and dwell. And the closer we get to that very presence of God, the greater those restrictions are. The closer you went, and here only the high priest could enter, and only with the very strictest regulations. And God emphasized a few times, lest he die. And this was all to impress on the people and on us the fact that we need a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, to enter on our behalf because we know that we are guilty. We cannot stand in God's holy presence on our own. So the narrowness of the approach. Secondly, the permission to approach God. Verse 2 says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So even the high priest you see could, was restricted to when and how he could enter and, and approach God. He could only come at God's invitation at God's specific time. Because the high priest himself was, lived under the threat of dying if he did something wrong. And that, that permission now has been opened in the New Testament through the Lord Jesus Christ. As he, he, he opens that invitation through the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the only way by which we can come. But even now, we still see the truth of this, that the closer we draw near to God and have fellowship with Him, the greater the restrictions are. Because sin separates us from God. Even the so-called little sins that we have in our hearts and our lives, you know how they hinder you, how they overwhelm you, how they fill you with guilt and shame and sorrow. And we were reminded of Adam and Eve when they sinned, they hid from God in the bush. And they, if we have any sense of our sin, if the Lord convicts us, it doesn't draw us to Him automatically, but it creates that fear and dread to hide from His holiness. It's because sin by its very definition is enmity against God. It's hatred against God, resistance, rebellion, turning away from God. And how can there be communion with that in our hearts? And so that sin must be dealt with is what it's telling us. And so this shows us the need for the Lord Jesus Christ again, for that, that mediator to stand between us and God, a mediator who is without sin. And it shows us that we can't just presume to approach into God's presence on our own but that there's a specific way that He has prescribed, a specific way that He invites sinners to come unto Him. But in all this, we see that even the priests and the high priests were not perfect. The priests were warned not to touch anything or they would become unclean. He'd be defiled. Sacrifices had to be offered daily, all year long, and in here this one special sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And so this, for the Israelites, all this was done, and as we read this, it's all done to make us look past these ceremonies, to look past the pictures, to see what God is telling us. He's telling us that one day He would send 
His Son, He would send His priest who would, who would satisfy every demand and through whom we can have that full and free ask, access into His presence. Where He says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son who would be that perfect high priest and mediator. And so it's all giving us, and it gave the Israelites such a vivid picture, object lesson, such a vivid illustration. It engaged all the senses of the people. If you consider those, those Israelites, they could see every day the, how, the, how their camp was set up. They could see the Levites and the priests. They could see the, the tabernacle. They could see the animals that would be coming for the sacrifices. They're, they're hearing. They could hear the sounds of the animals as they came bleeding and lowing to, to, to into the tabernacle to, to be sacrificed. They could smell the blood, the fire, the burning flesh. They could smell the incense. They could feel not only the, the heat of the sun in the desert, but as they led the animals, they could feel those animals as they would be the sacrifice for sin. They could taste the, the sacrifices. They could share in the, the, the meals and the bread and the, 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 what they ate and drank. So God used all their senses. And so it is when God brings the sins home to our own hearts with conviction, sin becomes so revolting to us that it's as if we can smell the sin, especially if, it, if there is a smell associated with the sin that brings a repulsion to you. When you hate the sin, even the smell of that is repulsive to you. The taste, you can taste the corruption, you can, you can feel the revolting nature of sin as it battles against you and against God. And so God even uses our senses to recoil in horror against our sin. And this is all emphasized to show the need for our sin to be removed before we can enter the presence of God, to make us see the need for a mediator uh, to, to approach God on our behalf, and to make us see where God has opened that way and given permission to enter into His presence that is through Jesus Christ, where He invites you to come for the cleansing of all your sin, and that it is in this great high priest that He has made that He invites sinners for forgiveness. And so we see Aaron was here a picture, but only a poor illustration of this Christ. That brings us thirdly to the holiness Again, that is required to approach God. In verses 3 and 6, it shows us how Aaron, the high priest, had to offer for his own sins first, because he was not sinless. In verse 3, it says, Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. In verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. He could not accomplish that reconciliation with God for his people. He was to follow these regulations so strictly, but he had to repeat them every year. But every action here was intended to impress on the minds of the people the solemnity of approaching this God to emphasize the fact that no sinner has the right of access into the presence of God. 
Just like Adam and Eve were barred out of paradise and that the angel stood there with a flaming sword barring his access back. There is no way back to God except through Christ. And so Aaron had to take this bull and sacrifice it for his own sins. He was not the mediator that was promised. He was not the sinless one who could enter into God's presence itself. And this shows us again that we have to look further. The Israelites had to look further than even the high priest. They had to look for the one who does not need to deal with his own sins first. Because a mediator cannot be guilty himself. One who is guilty himself cannot pay for the sins of another. He cannot stand between a guilty party and God if he himself is guilty. And Adam had to sacrifice for his own sins. But Christ, Hebrews 7.26 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Christ is the great high priest without sin. Christ is the one of whom the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Even the judges of the earth, Herod and Pilate, had to say, I find no fault in this man at all. He was the innocent one without sin. And so Christ was the one who approached the most holy place when he went to Calvary to the cross to represent his people before the holiness of God. There he was holy, harmless, and undefiled. The holiness of the approach. But then also we see the humility required for the approach. Verse 4, He shall put the holy tunic and the linen trousers on his body, he shall be girded in a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments, and therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. The high priest, Aaron, normally wore very elaborate high priestly garments. Exodus 28 shows, explains what it looked like. They were garments that are said to be for glory and for beauty. They were of royal colors. They had the blue, the purple, the scarlet, and the gold colors. He wore an ephah, like an apron, an apron that had the stones on his shoulders that had the names of the Israelites engraved in there, showing how he carried them into the presence of God. He had a breastplate with stones with the names engraved, showing how he had to carry the people of God on his heart as he entered into the presence of God. He had a turban on his head with the words engraven in, in gold, the holiness to the Lord. And so even his garments had to have the sound of holiness. Again, the senses. He had the bells on, on his hems of his garment that w- with the pomegranates that would make noise as he walked in the tabernacle. All this representing the absolute holiness of Christ. Because Christ is the one who carries his people on his shoulders, who bears them up in their life and carries them before God. Christ is the one who carries his people on his heart. He is the God of love. He, he, the God is love. And he carries his people there on his heart. And he walks in that perfect holiness as he bears his people up in this life. So Aaron has such a, such a visible display 
of what Christ was to be and what He came to do. But here, on this Day of Atonement, something was different, and He had to remove all those priestly garments. He took off all those royal colors and, and those, those, that ephod and, those, and his, his turban, and he laid it all aside. And he was clothed only in, in sim, the simplicity of linen garments. And so now, these are also called holy garments, but now it's a simple tunic, a sash, a turban, and trousers. And in this simplicity, he would enter in to do this atoning work. Now, instead of royal clothing, he wore the clothing of a slave. Now he was stripped of all honors, and as an obedient servant, he went in to the most holy place, only when invited by God. And this also is only an illustration of what Christ would face. Because when he came down from heaven, he came down from the glories of heaven. And he laid aside his, his royal garments of glory in heaven. And he put on the garments of humanity when he became a man, when he took upon him human flesh, when he came in the likeness of men in the form of a slave. He did not cease to be God any more than Aaron ceased to be man when he changed his clothes. But he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself even to the death of the cross. Christ would take on Him, on Himself, the frailty of human flesh, the infirmity and the weakness of mankind. From the womb to the cross, He was going to be that great mediator because we need this high priest, one who can sympathize with us, who knows our weakness and our frailties and all what we face in our temptations. We need a mediator who can touch both parties, who can stand between a sinful people and a holy God, one who can bear our iniquity in humanity before God, but also one who can face God's holy wrath against our sin. We need a, we need a mediator who, as a man, can enter God's presence with that holiness that was required of us. And it is through Him, through His perfection, that our approach to God is made possible because of His humiliation. And this was graphically displayed not only as He was born into this world and lived in this world, but especially as He neared the cross. Because as He neared the cross, there He even lost His ordinary clothing. There, in John 19, it says, instead of a holy turban, He wore a crown of thorns. And instead of royal garments, they put on that purple garment to mock Him and to ridicule Him. Instead of honor, they beat Him. And while on the cross, even His garments were divided and given away. The high priestly garments represented the holiness of the coming mediator. And now Christ, the Holy One of God, would Himself be crucified there as the most heinous of sinners between two thieves, here he was rejected of the world and despised even of those two thieves on the cross beside him, being crucified beside him. There he was subjected to the very enmity of man against God, to the very hatred of our hearts against God, of the vileness of sin against its Creator. But more than that, 
Christ was here also cast out by God because of the sin that was imputed to him, because of the sin that was laid upon him. That holy one was cast out of communion, cast out of favor, and barred out of the very presence of his Father. Here he, the innocent one, the holy one, received the fire of God's wrath in his justice, just like Nadab and Abihu did. The Lord Jesus Christ took that same burning wrath of God, not because he had sinned, but because he was bearing the sins of his people. But then we see one last thought, and that is the loneliness of the approach. Verse 17 says, There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the high place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Aaron had to be alone. There could be no one near him and near the tabernacle when he entered the presence of God. And so also Christ suffered alone. He did the work of high priest alone. His family did not believe on him. The high priest at the time, Caiaphas, with the religious council, condemned him to death. The people who initially followed him had rejected him and here banned with the rest and de- demanding his crucifixion. His own friends and disciples would forsake him and fled. His mother standing there at the cross could do nothing to help him. And the thieves on the cross even mocked and ridiculed him when they were in the same condition. And his own Father in heaven forsook him. As he had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That darkness engulfed him as even the sun was blotted out, seemingly to hide that agony that he was suffering, that separation from God. Rejected by God and man, lifted off the earth on the accursed cross, barred out of heaven, out of the presence and communion with God. Here he tasted death for all men. Here he tasted the agony of eternal torment and of eternal darkness that all unbelievers will face if they die apart from God. Christ here who dwelt in the bosom of the Father from all eternity, who had that sweet communion with, within the, in the Trinity, who, who never committed any sin to bar this relationship at all, who never had any guilt, any fear, any fi- defilement to sever that communion, who only had perfect love and perfect communion at all times, but here he was appointed to be our only eternal high priest. And here for his people the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All the sins of his people imputed to his account. There he stood with your guilt and your sins on his shoulders and in his hands. Here he was made to be sin who knew no sin. Here the Lord treated him as a sinner because he was made to be sin. He bore that wrath of God. He experienced that separation of God because he identified with the sins that we have committed. And as high priest, he entered that darkness alone. No one can bear that cross with him. 
And the high priest would enter that most holy place with the incense when the smoke would fill the room. And it's as if the smoke here covers the earth in that darkness when no one could bear this cross with the Lord Jesus. No one could enter this dark abode of God's holy presence carrying the guilt of sin. But here he experienced not communion, but justice. Here he experienced not the mercy that God shows to you and to me, but the wrath. And no one could stand here with him under this just wrath of God. And he stood there alone, bearing our guilt. But here is where he satisfied God's justice perfectly. And we'll see more of that next time. But for us to consider today is that no one can approach this God unless you come through this atoning work of this high priest that he alone could accomplish. And this knowledge that you and I must come to stand alone before this God it must be brought to our hearts. Because when we die, there is no one that can stand with us. They may hold our hands till we face that hour of death. But to go through that hour, we must go alone. And the fear of death and the reality of death as a consequence of our sin and the wages of sin and that alienation that it has caused us between us and God must be real for us. Because if we go through that death alone with our sin, then we'll have to face God's eternal justice alone. And then we will have to face what Christ faced on the cross alone. And Nahum 1 verse 6 says, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? Where even the mountains tremble and the hills quake and the earth melts at his presence. How can we stand if we have not Christ for a mediator? And so we have to come to that point in our lives to know that we cannot. Stand before God's holiness. That's what this whole picture is showing us. And this is why Christ stood there on behalf of his people. This is why the high priest would go on behalf of the people. And this is what Christ has done. And this reality must become our reality to know that Christ stood there for me, to know that Christ stood there for my sins, to know that Christ has washed away my sins, that he has taken the punishment for them. Because what Christ has done is sufficient to cleanse us from all our sin. He was that perfect high priest who entered into God's presence with no sin. And he is the one who bore all the sins of his people. And it is through him that you can and must and may draw near. For as we said earlier, that, that, that narrowness has been is narrow because it's only through Christ, but it's open wide through the gospel that says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, that whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Have you, young and old, learned to see your need for this Christ as your mediator, that when you stand before God, we can only do so with the Lord Jesus Christ, where we have to be washed from all and every single one of our sins, where we have to be covered in His perfect righteousness alone, else we will not be able to stand. Have you come to God already through this Christ? It's something you need to wrestle with today. To even before you leave this sanctuary, to know, have you, young people, 
old people, have you received that forgiveness from Christ? Have you already been reconciled to God through Christ? Has Christ stood there on your behalf? Did Christ die because of your sins, young people? Did He take your sins to those cross, to that cross, to be blotted out forever, to be taken out of this world forever, so that you do not need to stand there with your sins in the presence of this God who is so holy that even to come with one blemish is enough to condemn you for all eternity. And so he says, come even today. Come through the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Amen.